This episode of The Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to The Ready Room, show number 159, They Even Crash Land on Dagobah. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Matthew Rushing. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including the Smithsonian's Enterprise move, Orsi shunning Power Rangers to focus on Star Trek, and a look at what's coming up at Destination Star Trek London. Then in the feature, we're joined by Charlene Schmidt and John Mills to find out why Matthew loves precious cargo so very, very much. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Matthew. Welcome back to The Ready Room. You took a really long break from co-hosting this show with me, and now here you are back for the second time in three weeks. What is going on? Well, Chris, um, you know, I'm just trying to to get the hat trick here, uh, you know, three weeks in a row, and I think I'm going to pull it off, so I'm really excited. Um, but uh, yeah, it's so great to be back in the co-hosting chair here with you with uh, The Ready Room. It It just feels feels good (laughs) well i'm glad i'm glad you're back here on the ready room (laughs) more often and 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 rumor is you're going to be back coming up in a couple of more weeks as well so yeah well um i mean i I didn't want to give it away i didn't want to brag uh but uh yeah i'm really excited that that's going to be happening Uh, i think sometime when we talk tng or something yeah we're going to be talking some tng uh, coming up so yeah so it's nice uh to get some deep space nine in got some enterprise in today with you gonna go talk some tng which i'm really excited because you know what's been great chris about doing the tng ones now is that they're on blu-ray exactly and i love having my tng on blu-ray and popping in that disc and so uh, and they look so good. Well, not only TNG, but, you know, the episode we're going to talk about in the feature today with Char and John from Enterprise, Precious Cargo, watching that on Blu-ray to prepare for the show. It's not the first time mm. I've seen it on Blu-ray, but I was just struck today about how gorgeous that image is and how clear it is, especially at the beginning where Trip is looking out of the window at the ship yep, coming yep. up. I mean, wow, just just fantastic image quality there. Yeah, it, it, it really is so well done. I mean, obviously, Enterprise is so much easier to put on Blu-ray. Um, yeah, But, <laughs> uh, you know, then too, you know, when you pop in those old uh, TNG episodes, I mean, it is, you are reunited and it feels <laughs> so good. And there you are. Matthew always looks for an opportunity to sing on shows. Well, you got to get in those uh, those great songs you uh, back from the day. So. so. So let's go into news here. We've got just a few items today, not a whole lot to talk about. And the, the first thing we're going to talk about is a story that 
I did cover previously, I can't remember if it was on the Ready Room, but definitely on Hyper Channel, the news that the Smithsonian was going to be moving the Enterprise. But this has actually happened now. And so Eric Wellsby, who has joined our team as a news writer, put together this story for us here. On September 12th, the Smithsonian announced on its blog that the model of the Enterprise actually has been removed from that location down in the, I believe it was down in the gift center on yeah, like a lower the gift level. gift shop. Of all the places to put the Enterprise. Right, yeah. Well, shop? it wasn't always there, but they had moved it there. It has now been removed for the purpose of conservation and preparation for its inclusion in the Boeing Milestones of Flight Hall exhibit that is going to be opening in July of 2016, the 50th anniversary year of Star Trek. This is just fantastic, Chris, um, that we're going to be celebrating... Uh, you know, Star Trek at the Smithsonian like this, um, you know, the the impact that Star Trek has had on the scientific community, um, getting people excited about science and wanting to be astronauts. I mean, um, hopefully maybe this can just uh, help people be more excited about space exploration again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lackluster amount of, of dollars that are actually spent on, on exploring space is quite disturbing to me personally and 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 what better way i think to get people excited again about this than prominently displaying one of the things that has really helped in uh, you know just open the eyes of of children everywhere of of adults everywhere Mm -hmm. to what could be out there and, and 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 what we could find out about ourselves and the galaxy by getting a chance to explore it. Definitely. And Star Trek has influenced our space program and influenced designers and engineers and others for so many years that I think it's very appropriate that it would be there in the center of a display. I don't know if it's going to be like dead center, but it's just presented prominently in this Boeing display. For those who don't know which enterprise we're talking about, this is the original USS Enterprise model, and it was donated to the Smithsonian back in 1974. So it's been in the museum for 40 years, and it has been moved around a number of times. But this new exhibit that will open, as I said, in July of 2016, will put the Enterprise front and center once again in what I feel is its rightful place in any exhibit about spaceflight, just because of its influence on our actual culture over all these decades. Well, and I think, you know, one of the neat things about the Air and Space Museum, Chris, is that it, it collects all of the the great strides of humanity when it comes to these different explorations. And what better way to encourage the future than to put something out there that really does speak to what we could find, what we could do. Um, and, and and I think that's one of the things that we all love about Star Trek is it really does inspire us to be better, to do more, um, to find out, you know, it, uh, the insatiable curiosity of humanity really comes to light through Star Trek. And I think it's, it's quintessentially referenced there in the original Enterprise. Absolutely. Um, and and I love... More you know, that that we are going to be having this back in the Air and Space Museum. And again, what better way to, to be able to celebrate Star Trek and its 50th anniversary yeah, definitely. Than, than to be able to celebrate with it in, in its uh, brand new location yeah. here in the Air and Space Museum. I wish I could get over there in 2016. Maybe I'll be able to, I don't know, to see it. 
So we'll put a link in the show notes to this article here on the blog of the National Air and Space Museum. And go check it out because they actually have some photos of them removing the model from that museum shop on the lower level and putting it, you know, strapping it down in a crate type apparatus so that they can secure it and they can safely move it. It's it's really cool to see what they're doing here. And of course, the care, you know, that they're showing as they handle that original model. So Matthew, the next story we have up here, we're going to jump over to the Abrams verse here for a little bit because it was announced, I saw this go by on Twitter, that Roberto Orsi has dropped out of the Power Rangers movie. Oh my gosh, my heart is breaking. As I, you know, I've seen people talk about the Power Rangers reboot. As someone who lives in Japan, we get new Power Rangers every year like clockwork on television. There's a new <laughs> series every single year. I don't understand people talking about it as a reboot. How do you reboot something that's still going strong year after year like clockwork? But that's what people say. But anyway, <laughs> Orsi is dropping out of his responsibilities with the Power Rangers movie to focus on Star Trek. That's the first part of the story. And the second part is word that filming should start within the next six months. Chris, I, you know, personally, I just think this is great news. Uh, you know, for a while, we were very, uh, I think, just trepidatious as, as to whether we were going to be getting a new Star Trek film at all. Some people, and, and yeah, we speculated were, like maybe you know, this film will never actually be made, right? Right. Um, and what I, I, I think it it says is that one, Paramount knows what they have. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you don't let this lie too long. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness wasn't as well received as 2009 was, uh, just critically, although critically it, it did very well still but i i think that they they have a great direction i think they see a, a good direction from what i've heard chris this film is going to be taking place well into the five-year mission so good. this is not a direct follow-up to into darkness we're we're, we're going to be taking these characters to new places this is fantastic you know orsi's been a part of this from the beginning and I love the fact that he is dropping things off of his docket to say, yeah. I'm going to focus solely on Star Trek. Right, right. And I wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't expect anything different from from Bob Orsi. The guy loves Star Trek. And I think he wants to do right by the fans. I think he wants to do right by the film. Uh, he obviously has a lot to prove, this being his first directorial debut. So, um, you know, I think that this is fantastic news for Star Trek fans of the JJ verse, Star Trek fans everywhere. Um, and I've just got my fingers crossed that this is going to be a, a great Star Trek movie, especially since the hope is this is coming out in, in 2016. Well, that's that's when they're wanting to release it. It has to come out. You know, the, the last thing I heard is July 2016. I believe I saw that somewhere. Summer of 2016. I think I saw somewhere that they said July. But anyway regardless of whether it's, you know, what month it's in, it has to come out in 2016. It's going to be a major oversight and and missed opportunity if that doesn't happen oh, with it being yeah. the 50th anniversary well, year. And Star Trek VI, my, my, my still undisputed favorite for films yeah. of Star Trek, um, was the 25th anniversary. And it really did a, a wonderful job of celebrating all that was Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see this is happening as well, because the the main, the reason that Into Darkness kept getting pushed so far is that J.J. Abrams was just trying to do too much stuff. 
he had his hands in too many things. You know, there was Super 8 going on. And it's good to see that Orsi's realizing, like, I need to focus. I need to make the best movie and I need to focus on this. And like, maybe I could find a way. I'm, I'm not putting, he didn't say this, so I'm not putting words in his mouth. I'm just like thinking that if I were him, I would be thinking maybe there's a way that I could pull this off and I could do them both. But I'm going to actually focus on what's most important to me, which is Star Trek. Well, two, I think, like you said, you know, obviously this has to come out in 2016, Paramount wise. I, you, just the thought of not putting a film out for the 50th anniversary is, is you know, uh, just suicide when you think of, of the <laughs> the amount of money you would lose um, because the, the it promotes itself. You know, Star Trek is 50 years old. Come celebrate Star Trek with, you know, the brand new Star Trek movie. And um, I, I think Paramount is probably also thinking very much about what's going to come next. Um, and I think maybe one of the reasons that as well, you know, Orsi's not just trying to make the best movie, but to me, if he's smart, which I think he is, he's thinking about how do we set up for the next round of Star Trek movies? You know, what do we do to, to, to capitalize on this, to make it good enough that people want to come back again, especially with this crew. I mean, they're young enough. There's no reason why this shouldn't continue, say, for another three, four movies. Yeah, maybe. Personally, I'm kind of hoping this is the last one and we're going to go back to television and we're going to focus on TV. That's where I want to see it go. But but we'll see. It depends on how it goes. But like you say, they did, they did put together a young cast, so they do have the option to keep going. Uh, if they want to. So, so anyway, this was, this was the news that was out this week and it's good to see that they're taking it seriously, that they're going to put it together and keep it on schedule. I'm glad to see that. Okay, Matthew, one last thing to talk about here in news. Uh, We're recording this show on September 22nd. We record quite a bit ahead of release date, but by the time the show drops, we'll just be a few days away from the kickoff of Destination Star Trek London. This is Destination Star Trek 3. So I thought it'd be a good idea to just go over a few of the highlights, what people are going to be able to see there. Well, Chris, uh, just so the people know, uh, and they probably will by this point, but Jonathan Frakes is not going to be attending. He he had to cancel, unfortunately. But the great Cole Meany is going to be taking his place, which, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine a, a better guy. I personally would be very excited to see Colm uh, talk about Star Trek, and he's mm-hmm. going to be uh, participating in all those TNG-related events, uh, the group events that they're going to be doing because they're having a great big reunion there for for the next generation. So that's really exciting. Chris, I, I wonder for you, they do the the great TNG, um, you know, group-related events. Mm-hmm. You know, getting the cast of TNG. Wouldn't you love to see like a a reunion of of as many you know Deep Space Nine characters, Voyager, Enterprise? Yeah. You know, I, well, they. I love that the TNG cast gets together, but yeah, I would love to see you know like if you're gonna do a massive group event like this. Yeah. Well, they've some kind of, the other of done casts, that with uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. You know, they had kind of a DS9 focus, and they did get together a lot of the DS9 actors again. For a panel, but the focus does seem to be mostly on TNG. And to be honest, I because these cons happen in different cities and not everyone can go to every convention, I think it's great that they're continuing to do these big TNG reunion panels so that as many fans as possible will have a chance to see it live. 
at the same time, it's really kind of lost its luster at this point as a news item because they've gotten together so many times that it's the first time they did it, it was like, wow. And I've seen the uh, reunion footage on YouTube where they had clips of or extended one of them. They had like the whole thing going on, I think. And it was great and wonderful to see. But but I'm with you, like really do a big DS9, as many people as possible, or do a big Voyager, as many people as possible, or Enterprise, and focus on those instead of it always being TNG. I'd like to see a little more variety in the way that these things are put together and promoted. Well, and I can understand wanting to promote TNG right now with the Blu-rays. Um, it, yeah. it makes oh, sense, but I, I'm with you. I would want to see that. Now, Chris, I think some of the hidden highlights maybe here um, that uh, we do see... Some fantastic guests here on the list. I, li- I like um, the uh, the I images mean, that you've put on the outline here today, Matthew. Of all the people that you could have chosen, of course you've got Doctor Crusher, you've got Seven of Nine, and you've got Doctor Solar. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine not wanting to see Susie Plaxton. She's played some great characters on yeah. um, Star Trek. Uh, the obviously, you know, from everything I hear, Jerry Ryan is just fantastic. Um, when, when she's talking to fans, she's very open about everything. And, um, you know, even the way that she deals with people on Twitter is just fantastic Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. She's very open and friendly on Twitter. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then of course, yeah. Um, having Gates McFadden, who as well is very open with the fans on Twitter, uh, and is just one of my favorite people from, from Star Trek. Um, but yeah. These are the hidden gems right here, Chris. The ones that, you know, they might not get the limelight, the Solars, or, you know, even the Seven of Nines these days because, hey, it's not the TNG cast reunited. But these are the people that you're going to want to check out there at at Destination London 3. Definitely. So, like I said, this is going to drop right before the event. So, if you're listening to this and you don't already have your tickets, unless you're in London and you can drop by, you know, and get like a one day pass or weekend pass, you're probably not going to be attending this. So, so we're not going to go on and on about this, but we did want to point out a few things that were happening and the fact that uh, it's going to happen again. And I'm curious to see how successful it is compared to the previous ones. You know, they did decide to come back to London here for the third one after going to Germany for the second. It feels to me like within Europe, maybe London is the place because, of course, in Germany, you've got FedCon. That's a a lot of competition, a very well-established convention to go up against. I'm curious to see after this is over where they go next. Is this going to become just a London convention? Are they really going to move it around the world like they originally talked about doing? And will they be bold enough to take it to Asia, for example, you know, and bring it to Japan or take it to China or maybe take it to Australia. I'm curious to see where they're going to go, uh, where Media 10 and the organizers are going to go with Destination Star Trek. Well, Chris, it's it's definitely up in the air and and I would be uh I'd be excited for any of the fans around the world, you know, maybe take this to Destination Australia. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of fans there. So, and there's a lot of fans around the world who just don't get to experience this kind of con. Um, so who knows where it's like, wait a minute, is Star Trek destination like Carmen San Diego? <laughs> where in the world is destination Star Trek? 
There you go. <laughs> I, they have a new theme song. I, th- I think. In fact, wouldn't it be great, Chris? Is is the, they're announcing the when the next one's going to be that they have you play a whole little game, you know, like online. Where in the world is Star Trek Destination? See, now that would be cool. That's a campaign I would like to develop. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a few similar things before for marketing campaigns. So, so that would be cool. All right. Well, that is happening again October 3rd through 5th there in London. And uh, we will report back afterwards and uh, maybe get some hands on. Maybe we'll see some of our listeners, uh, some of our fellow podcasters also over there in the UK might be able to come and give us a firsthand account of it. All right, Matthew. Well, that is all that we have in news today. Before we go into the feature, we're going to be joined by our own Charlene Schmidt and John Mills from Words with Nerds to talk about the Enterprise episode, Precious Cargo. And stay tuned for this. Even if you don't like that episode, even if you're not an Enterprise fan, you've got to stay tuned for the feature because we've been planning this for a long time. We're going to find out why Precious Cargo was one of Matthew's favorite episodes of Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) So before we do that, though, I'd like to tell everyone about Patreon real quick. This is a way that you can help us out, help us keep the shows coming to you. Patreon's a lot like Kickstarter, but it's a way for you to support us on a month-to-month basis. So if you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash TrekFM, you'll find our page there. You'll see some of our goals. You'll see our milestone contribution levels and the perks that you get for those. The way those work are that when you hit that milestone level, you'll get the perks. But of course, you don't have to donate only that amount. You know, you could donate $17 instead of $15. You can also donate $1, $2, $3, whatever it is. Every little bit helps us out. So go check those out. We have great perks for you over there, including a chance to sit in on the recordings of your favorite shows, get associate producer credits, all kinds of things for you there. We've had a number of people contribute already, and we really appreciate all of their support. And we really do need your help to keep the shows coming. So check us out at patreon.com slash trekfm. Another way that you can help us out is to support our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. We tell you about Audible every time we record the shows because it's one of my very favorite services, and I'm so glad that we have them as a sponsor, that the best place for you to get audiobooks. And if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. And we like to recommend a book for you every single week. And oftentimes it's a Star Trek book because this is a Star Trek show, but we were talking on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. About Star Wars a bit, because we see a few Star Wars connect, well, maybe more than a few Star Wars connections in the Enterprise episode that we're going to talk about today. And Matthew, you're a big Star Wars fan, I know, and there's a specific book that you want to recommend from Audible today. Yeah, Chris, I just wanted to recommend, uh, I was thinking about it the other day, was Heir to the Empire. And for me, I remember when this book came out and it was just revolutionary for for Star Wars. It was what happened after episode uh, six, uh, you know, the Return of the Jedi. And now that they've changed everything and, and, um, you know, they're going to be doing their own episode seven these books have gone into what they call the legend status, but good night. Did Timothy Zahn write a fantastic book? Um, and it created a great trilogy, actually, he did. So um, if you haven't read or, 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 or heard, especially with the audio version here, uh, Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire, I highly recommend it. It really is a fantastic book, and I know you're going to be wanting to go out and get the others as well once you finish just to hear what happens but it feels just like you're watching episode 789 before the real episode 789 come out. <laughs> I think a lot of fans may consider this to be the real episode 789. 
there not you what's go. being produced and, and, now. But so, Matthew, they actually have, well, they have Heir to the Empire 20th Anniversary Edition on Audible, narrated by Mark Thompson. And then on top of that, they also have Heir to the Empire Behind the Scenes and Expanded Universes Born, which is a two and a half hour look at Heir to the Empire. And that's actually narrated by author Timothy Zahn, as well as Betsy Mitchell. So there are actually two things that you can pick up there on Audible. You can get one of them absolutely free as a Trek FM listener. And I'd recommend that you use that to get the actual book. And then if you want to get the behind the scenes, you can use one of your credits for that. Because the way Audible works is that you sign up and you get credits each month and you can apply those to a book. So you're not actually paying the dollar price that you see listed on the site. So to get your free book, go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up today. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that book. But I know you're going to love Audible and you're going to want to stick with them. And I'm really glad that we'll be able to get you that free book as a Trek FM listener. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank them for their support of the show and the network. As one of humanity's early explorers of deep space, Captain Kirk gained a reputation for meeting an alien woman on every world. As a prequel to the original series, Enterprise didn't want to be left out, so in the episode Precious Cargo, Trip Tucker gets to meet a woman of his own. And not just any woman, but an actual soon-to-be queen, the first monarch of Krios Prime. Today, we're going to talk about this episode, Precious Cargo, and to help us do that, we're joined by our Voyager co-host from To The Journey, to the journey. Charlene Smith. <laughs> hey, Char, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. If I'm recalling correctly, this is the very first time I have done an episode of The Ready Room concerning Enterprise. It might be. It might I be. Hey, welcome to the NX-01. Woo! Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had to have you here for this one, Shar. I just felt like you needed to be here when we find out why Precious Cargo is possibly Matthew's favorite episode of Enterprise. Tell you what, when you brought it up to me in that fashion, I was enticed. It did work. I've got to <laughs> know. And also joining us once again here on The Ready Room is John Mills from Words with Nerds. Hello, John. Hello. Thank you for beaming me aboard. Yeah, great to have you here as well. All right. Well, now here's the time at the beginning of the feature where I usually do an episode synopsis for those who haven't seen the episode before or haven't seen it in a while. But I'm going to defer today to you, Matthew. I would like you to give us a brief synopsis of Precious Cargo. Well, the episode starts with the Enterprise rescuing a pair of aliens with a mysterious cargo container that just happens to need Trip Tucker's magical engineering fingers because there's something going wrong with it. Uh, Trip, of course, gets onto this ship. Calamity ensues. A major predicament happens because he accidentally opens the cargo. Turns out that was not the right thing to do. Trip ends up escaping the ship with said cargo on a planet <laughs> hoping to be <laughs> hoping to be saved by the enterprise in time before him and this precious cargo are found bum 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 <laughs> i think i'm I, not, I, not going to refer to uh, this female lead as by her name 
I'm going to color precious cargo through the whole episode. <laughs> oh, are you? Okay. Yes, I think so. I think that's perfect. You have to do yeah. it in Gollum voice if you say precious, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did, really? <laughs> yes. How, uh, what would this I episode have been like if precious. Trip had done that throughout and said, <laughs> my precious... <laughs> you know, Trip kind of hates her through most of the episode, so I can't imagine her him calling her that until like that's true. the very end. <laughs> Maybe true. in the follow up to this that we never got, that's how he refers to her when he actually visits Creo's Prime. Yeah. Hey, precious. Maybe you're yeah. right. <laughs> the, the part Jeez. two that never happened in season five. Yeah. Oh man. Goodness. Oh great. So we've been planning to do this episode for a long time because I have known for a very long time that Matthew loves Precious Cargo. And finally, we have a chance to do this. And Matthew, I have been waiting with bated breath now for about a year or a year and a half to find out why you love this episode so very, very much. Because the people who created this episode, they didn't love it so much. David A. Goodman said that what he originally wrote was a piece of crap and what was filmed, which was very different, was also a piece of crap. And Brandon Braga said this is one of the worst episodes of Enterprise or maybe Star Trek ever. So let's talk about these comments because I think I think they're being a little bit harsh here. You know, I think this is yeah. um, this is a it's a fun little adventure, but it's sort of a as they used to say on Dork Trek, you know, it's like a warp 6.5, you know, it's a, it's just, it's like their mainstream rating as an average episode. So Matthew, do you think they're being too harsh? We were talking on the other side of the room, Chris. The other side of the room. And I guess what I just don't understand is, I mean, Brandon Braga is, you know, responsible for things like threshold. So how can he (laughs) call this one of the worst episodes of Trek ever? Um, I, I just don't personally understand it, especially for me when this episode kind of seems to imbibe so much of that TOS spirit in it. Mm-hmm. We get a lot yeah. of TOS tropes that yeah. are, are just kind of rife throughout the entire episode. And there are a few, for me, trip episodes that play like that. Unexpected is one which people tend to hate. And this episode as well, which feel to me as if they could have happened in a TOS format and not really change very much. Mm-hmm. And you just put Kirk instead of Trip and you have a TOS episode basically. And, and so I, I don't understand why, you know, we can't accept those kind of storylines mm-hmm. just because it's Enterprise. I mean, I don't know. I just don't get it. it. To me, it's just a fun episode where I could pop it in at any moment watch it and enjoy it and go about the rest of my day, you mm-hmm. know, because I don't really need to know very much. And it it's just, you know, a rip-roaring fun adventure. Yeah. What about you, John? Uh, well, I mean, I like the episode. It's not, you know, the, the best thing that, that was ever put down on film. But at the same time, it's not anything, you know, it, it isn't terrible. I, I don't understand why people would have such a problem with it. Um, the only thing I could possibly venture is that, it's because it's Trip and not Archer having the you know the the love affair. Maybe people don't plug into it because it's not the captain who is having the you know the swashbuckling romance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I you know I like the episode. I think that I think if anything, what it reminded me of on the rewatch as I was looking at it was it, it kind of reminds me of the plot of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, that first spinoff book that uh, was written by Alan Dean Foster after the original Star Wars. 
which mm-hmm. there's very there's very much that sort of pulpy vibe to it, which I think lends that feel to it that you could just pop it in any time. It, it's it's not particularly memorable to me, but at the same time, it's not bad. Like if 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 I were scanning the channels one night and this was on, I'd stop. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll watch this. Sure. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Star Wars because I felt a bit like. Trip is Han Solo and Kaitama is Princess Leia throughout oh, yeah. the whole episode. And they <laughs> sure. even crash land in Dagobah. You yes. know what? Yes, they do. Yes, they I do. actually thought that that was the threshold set, the jungle where Janeway and Paris had their lizard babies. Oh, it could. It's possible. <laughs> it, it might be. It's already been christened by, you know, yeah. uh, Captain Janeway and, and Tom Paris there. So. Now we've got Trip and Kaitama. Yeah, have, love uh, is in the air. Blessed as well. Yeah. <laughs> also, one other thing it reminded me of when they're in space, the escape pod that Trip and Kaitama use. Did that not look to you guys like the ship from Pigs in Space without the engines? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yes. Good. Good one, Chris. Excellent. Oh. Yeah. All right. So, so Char. For you, preparing for this ready room, this was the first time you've ever watched this episode. Yes. So knowing what we're all saying about it here, what we think about it, what Brandon and what David thought about it, what's your take on it watching this for the very first time? Okay, well, I suppose I ought to give full disclosure here and lose some nerd cred among the listeners and admit that I have not watched all of Enterprise. Uh, I was in college when it aired, and yes, I was one of those people who took a break from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I know, I'm ashamed. I'm sorry. I now know what I'm missing. Uh, at least I'm discovering. And yes, I'd watched this one for the very first time. I really do think that David A. Goodman and Brian and Braga are being way too hard on this episode. I don't think it's that bad. I totally agree with you guys when you say this is an episode that you could pop in at any time and enjoy it. Is it the best thing ever? No. Is it awful? Not at all. I feel like it's a fairly solid episode. All I can think is that classic Madonna song when you keep saying like the very first time. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm not singing it. So the next thing I want to do before we talk about the whole episode is I do want to to throw out there all the possible theories that we have as to why this is Matthew's one of Matthew's favorite episodes of Enterprise. Here's one that I have a feeling that none of you have thought about But I thought about, because Matthew and I just recorded a show about Love's Latinum Lost and Found for Literary Treks. Oh, yes. Can't wait for that. Matthew, is there like a little bit of a fantasy here when T'Pol comes in to be the tough guy? Is that like Vulcan Love Slave episode (laughs) five, perhaps? (laughs) Or... You know, it's funny because you mentioned that. I did not even think about that whatsoever. <laughs> but now uh, you are, but aren't that you? That is very funny. Yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, yeah. Uh, she's the, she's going to get you. So I think it's Vulcan Love Slave, episode five, to Paul's final word, because she has been given <laughs> final word by the high command. To Paul's final judgment. Matters. Yeah. Final judgment. Yeah. Kinky. That works. So that, that's that's one idea I had. John, how about you? Any theories? I, you know, honestly, any theory I have pales in comparison to that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I don't feel that I can live up to it, to be honest with you. Yeah, dude, I got nothing either. 
It's too good, Chris. I, I, oh, yeah, I'm nothing. I, all, right, all right. I concede well, the rest of my, my theory. I, I had, done. I don't know, like serious ones that relate to the story as we go on that I'm sure we'll talk, we'll talk about these things as we go on. I can't match up to that, Chris. Good job. All right. We'll uncover the rest. <laughs> we'll uncover the rest as we go then. So let's talk about the story itself a little bit. Matthew, as you said in your uh, sort of rebuttal of what Brandon Braga and David A. Goodman said here, you do get that new life and new civilizations feel a bit. And also this ties into the next generation in kind of an unexpected way. If you look at Kaitama, she's got the spots going on here. Yep. Yeah. She's actually from Krios Prime, which is mentioned in The Perfect Mate. I didn't catch on to that. Hey. Yeah. 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 That's one of the, the, the fun things that they kind of slipped in, in this episode that, uh, you know, if, if you're not paying attention, you, you may miss it, that there is that connection. Cause you know, you don't really think of putting the first mate mm-hmm. episode with this. And, uh, I, I like that, you know, it, it's one of those things that when the enterprise writers and, and I can't believe that they think this is so terrible, but, they're on their game, and they're just kind of putting those those sly references in mm-hmm. yeah. that hopefully you'll pick mm-hmm. up. And if you don't, that's what we have Memory Alpha for. That's right. <laughs> but they're also slipped in in such a way that, like, it doesn't. It's not to the detriment of the episode if you miss it. Right. Yeah. Like, exactly. Right. Exactly. You don't, you don't need to know that in order to watch the episode right. anyway whatsoever. But if you do, it's kind of a nice little thing because I'm looking at her, and she's got the spots running down her head and so your first thought is is she a trill but you know she's Mm -hmm. not a trill so then your second thought is wow they're really running out of ideas for makeup (laughs) (laughs) that's actually what my thought was because i did not make this connection but then if you look at the really really close connection that kamala in the perfect mate had the exact same spots she was from creos prime then kaitama here mentions that she's from creos prime as well so there actually is that that little connection there how about that well what's what's fun about this too and chris you we talk about the the next generation connection um it is a lot like one of those episodes uh, next generation or or the original series too in that we're just running into some random aliens during you know at the beginning of the week and Mm -hmm. uh this is what happens the adventure that kind of ensues and so um I, i thought that that's what uh, really was fun about this episode is it was a you know a different set of aliens we hadn't seen uh you know uh, if you hadn't watched the next generation you would never know the connection there and uh, we got an opportunity to kind of see uh, a whole society you know with katama uh she's obviously going to be the first monarch therefore this is probably a society that's run by women as well so I mean, you, you got a lot of fun, interesting things here, and, and it doesn't go the whole way of uh, some of those... Um, oh, gosh, Chris, what's the episode uh, um, in The Next Generation that everybody hates so what, much? Angel One? Oh, Angel One. Angel One, yeah. yeah. It doesn't go the way of Angel One, you know. Uh, well, it sort so, of does. I mean, so, Trip does take know. his shirt completely off, and then Riker does have that super open shirt. <laughs> That's true, uh, although... I still don't think it turns quite into the debacle that Angel One was. No, well, no because this episode is not shoulder no. pads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, in fact, side note, I thought her costume was very TOS esque. Yeah, maybe, yeah, it but does I have could that see that. Feel. 
At least after she yeah. rips the bottom of the dress off, maybe. I think well, she had a lot more... Then. She had a lot more because in TOS, you're always trying to figure out exactly how is that staying on her in the first place. This is Whereas, true. This, this is was true. like an actual, just kind of a nice looking dress that she was wearing. I, I think that's um, spot on because the type of fabric, like yes. it, it, it had that feel, that's what I was it, it had that right, texture, right, right, yeah. that TOS texture to it. Yeah, uh, the high that. heels, though, I don't oh. know. They were, those were a little modern. You know, I find it disappointing that older other alien species wear heels like that. <laughs> you would really? think that once no. they, they start traveling warp whatever, they're going to realize that practical footwear is a necessity <laughs> and they're going to get rid of the heel. You would think that by the 22nd <laughs> century that comfort would have prevailed by now. I, I would think so. Yeah. I would think people would want to be more comfortable. I would hope so. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think you, I don't even think she needed, you know, she's she's 5'9 in real life. I, I don't really think she needs to be much taller. Although maybe we're yeah, overlooking, so. maybe the heels are actually, instead of a crown, maybe the shoes she's wearing are the sign oh, of that could the, be it, yeah. the monarch. It could maybe. be, and that's why she didn't want them to get wet. So they have that close-up <laughs> shot of her carrying her shoes as she mm-hmm. goes yep, through the yep. swamp. Exactly. Yeah, you can't get the, 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 well, what would you call them? The, the I mean, they're not a crown, that they're... The royal footwear? Yeah, the royal, royal footwear. footwear. Yeah. 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 Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I, so. I like in this episode, too, that, that we have, uh, you know, because Enterprise is the first ship out there, you know, they really are those pioneers. And that human proclivity for wanting to help is going to have you be taken for a ride, and mm-hmm. you know, a few times by some aliens who who aren't so nice. And I, I appreciated that you, you saw a, a little bit of a balance, like, it's kind of happening in this episode, but I feel like immediately Archer is not quite, you know, uh, trusting of w- what's happening here. He doesn't quite buy the story, uh, and obviously, you know, uh, from the moment they they start to try to take off on the ship, you know, he's got um, Malcolm walking with with the uh, the other pirate there, um, going back to his ship and and everything. So you can really tell that Archer is learning something from mm-hmm. his his time in space. And, yeah. You know, to me, it's those small little things like that 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 make this a interesting episode because you're getting some character growth without having it. Again, it's not in your face character growth. It's just if you've been watching the the, the series, you're paying attention that this guy is starting to catch on a little bit quicker mm-hmm. than he used to. Because I mean, if this has been a first season episode. I, how how long do you think it might have taken Archer to catch on? <laughs> the whole episode. And <laughs> you know, saying that as someone who recently watched season one, yeah, you're absolutely right. He is catching on a lot more. He is a little less trusting. I don't know how that progresses through the rest of the series just yet. But yes, he is not nearly as naive as he was when they were yeah. first going out there. And he says, let's go. Well, it changes drastically in the third season because of the mission that they're sent on and what he has to go through. But but, but this is something I like about Enterprise, the fact that he is overly naive in the first season. And then you get here, and I think you still see here how humans, especially in the Star Trek future, humans are supposed to have evolved to a point where we've, we've put our differences aside and we're really trying to work for the betterment of everyone, even in the 22nd century. And they're just super friendly humans. You know, mm-hmm. Archer sitting there with the guy like, you know, we can we can get you there in a few days. We can help you do this. We can help you do that. And the guy's like, it's reptilian guy's like, no, it's okay. I'm good with that. Of course, that's because they're 
you know, they've got a hostage they're trying to transport. But Archer doesn't want to take no for an answer. You know, he's still <laughs> trying to help, trying to help. And then, as we're talking about here, he finally does kind of catch on that things aren't quite right. And then he exhibits another human trait of creating this elaborate lie to try yeah. to force. But I did notice here that, you know, later on, he isn't actually going to airlock someone in this episode, but he invites the alien to airlock himself pretty much. <laughs> he tells him, that, yeah, here's the door. I'm going to put you in the airlock. If you decide you want to leave, you know the way out. So he's just kind of yeah. easing towards where we finally see him in season three when he actually almost does airlock someone. I think that's just really reflective of the time, too, because a lot of the questions that were going on, um, you know, it, 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 where Enterprise was happening was during those question, those first questions yeah. about detention and what mm-hmm. constitutes questioning and stuff like that. So Archer is very much, I think, a reflection of that uh, going through the entire series. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this is something that uh, I liked about the episode as well is is just um, is watching Archer try to figure these things out. I, I think it's a, just a great uh, little character study of, of him and um, kind of watching him move forward throughout the episode and, and uh, trusting the people around him, too. I mean, you know, the, when we talk a little bit later about, you know, his big lie and obviously he's had to work this out with DePaul and uh, I even liked in the episode there when they're having dinner there's a look that Archer gives to Paul like there's something going on here mm-hmm. and she kind of gives him a look back like yeah I, I get it too mm-hmm. you know and I, I like that they're they're starting to have these little connections between you know first officer yeah. and 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 uh, captain that really are 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 helping them move this series forward. And I just, I love those little things that you pick up after you've seen an episode quite a few times. I will say, Matthew, though, that if Archer hadn't caught on that something was going on with the way that those guys were acting, I'd be a little bit worried about him. (laughs) I would too. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get much more suspicious than that. I need you to come and help me with something. What? Yeah, And then lean over from his chair to the other side. What? What kind of problem? What's going on? Then jump yeah. up and leave the room. I don't mean to be rude, but... Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and what the other thing was, too, that I, I liked about... Chris, you mentioned the fact that he makes the alien. He's like, I'm going to put you in the airlock. You know the way out. You can tell as well that he has a limit to how far he's going to be pushed yeah. by somebody. You know, mm-hmm. He's willing to be nice and helpful and all that, but he's also got a limit. The other thing that I thought was great, too, is you can tell that Archer's just learning about first contacts and what makes him go best. And mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. wants to bring these guys to Creos Prime with them because he knows that it's more helpful to have the introduction. Yeah. Like you just see that was a nice how time. all of these things, yeah, that he really is learning to, to be a better captain and he wants to do things better. Uh, and I really love that. It, it's just a, it, again, it's those small little things that the writers are kind of doing here in, in an episode which they consider crap. I'm finding all these fun little things to kind of watch just one of the characters, mm-hmm. which he's not even the main character in this episode, Trip is, but the, the Captain Archer is, is really getting an opportunity to grow. You know, it's interesting. Like you say, he's not the main character here. Trip is. If this were an original series episode and and it were McCoy. I mean, something like For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, which is all about McCoy and and about a romance a little bit as well. No one would be saying like, 
that's the worst episode ever. And a lot of people maybe don't think that's a great episode, but you want to give your other characters. I mean, Trip is part of the triumvirate of Enterprise. It is mm-hmm. Archer to Paul and Trip. So I don't see any problem with having a Trip story like this. Yeah, I don't see what the big deal is either. And we've had them before. You know, I mean, well, you got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is true. This is true. At least you Speaking didn't get of awful episodes, that one ranks pretty hey, low I on like my that list. One. Does it? Yes. Kind of I really episode. don't like Unexpected, yeah. but that's just me. It's I mean, I like, kind of like to enjoy it for its silliness, but like, okay. Okay, really? sure. It's got one of the great lines where Phlox says, That is a nipple. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. So matter of factly. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, true. Goodness. That's true. I mean, it's sort of like the Spock's brain of the series, at least for me, where I know it's a little silly, but I'm still going to enjoy it. It's just like... Um, still fun to watch, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not one you're going to show to somebody who's watching the show for the very first time and expect them to think that the show is always like this. You know, like that. Well, let's go to the next topic that you have on your outline here, Matthew. I'm the king of the swamp. <laughs> I thought, this, you know, if, if Trip had not been from Florida, do you think they would have crash landed on this type of planet or somewhere else? Like, Shar, if he had been from Fargo, would they oh, have God. crashed on like a Hoth-like planet instead? <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Imagine trying to survive in that dress on Hoth. <laughs> She'd be as blue as an Andorian. <laughs> then maybe we get some fight scenes so that wouldn't yeah. be too bad maybe I'll take your blood to Andorra maybe you'd have, have to cool. fight just to I, stay warm <laughs> well what what was you know what though is with the crashing on the swamp something that is interesting is um you know, because Trip says, oh, you know, I'm king of the swamp. And then he talks about how I grew up in an environment like this. I don't think we'll we'll starve if we're here. But at the same time, there's no evidence of life, like visually. Uh, like they're tra- they're trudging through the water. They're going through. It's nighttime. There's not even a, a scintilla of real fear from Trip at any point. Like that, that to me is, is something that's a little hollow about this particular episode is I would think that being from Florida and knowing what's in the swamps, he would be, you know, a lot more careful about trudging through water at first. Or he would be insisting, he wouldn't say, oh, it's just a cut. I'm not worried about it. He'd be like, no, 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 patches up, patches up. They're attracted by blood. Don't don't let me bleed. You know, like that sort That's of thing. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. You know. And- or maybe he's just so comfortable. Or maybe in the 22nd century, there are no alligators in the swamps in florida anymore i don't know they they survived from from prehistoric times i think alligators are gonna outlast us yeah honestly i would think so too i the part that i really love about this episode is that it's it's just all about trip and to me he's He's my favorite character of Enterprise from from the first episode that I saw, which was mm-hmm. you know Broken Bow. I, I immediately liked Trip. To me, he he has uh, a little bit of Kirk in him, a little bit of O'Brien in him, with a dash of Han Solo. I mean that that's who Trip <laughs> and is. and a bit of McCoy and, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah he actually kind of does have a little bit of McCoy in him, you know, um, because of his just kind of smartassery remarks to people uh, and, and his southern just, flavor. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But even just kind of his attitude, you know, he 
towards her, like McCoy, I think would have had exact same attitude towards her. He doesn't like people that are uppity, you know, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. and respond well to the caste system anywhere. Uh, and, and so trip is much like that too. And, but I just think this is funny. It's, it's between him and Katana. It's, it's completely the classic relationship of the, that Han Leia aspect where you're sniping at each mm-hmm. other one minute and then you're kissing the next because you're making out a, the attraction. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah. I, you know, in the end, it's it to me, this episode is Sleeping Beauty with a twist. You wake the princess up and she's not quite that excited to see you because, she, you know, mm-hmm. it's not exactly who she thought would be waking her up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I will say that uh one of the rewatches was I, wa- I watched it with my daughters and they actually plugged right into the episode because by the time they got to the escape pod, uh, I think it was my oldest turned and looked at me and said, they're going to fall in love. <laughs> I was like, yeah, OK, yeah, this is a this is a Disney sort of thing. You're absolutely yep. right. It is so. kind of a Disney sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. No, it's that um, classic Disney princess story tale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Story yeah. tale, fairy tale, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> story tale. It works. Story tale. <laughs> you have stories and you have tales, and then you have story, story tales. tales. That's right. <laughs> I coined it. No, I, I like that. I, uh, thanks for sharing that, John, because I, the first thing that came to my mind, of course, was Han Solo, Princess Leia. But your daughters are absolutely right. It is the classic, and you too, Matthew, saying it's like Sleeping Beauty with a twist. It is just that classic the hero wakes up the princes and then mm-hmm. they fall in love and maybe they don't like each other so much at first but then they fall in love i mean it is really a romantic comedy i mean mm-hmm. that's this is a rom-com mm-hmm. for star <laughs> trek and and i think it's fun because you know trip has the characteristics and and i think connor trenier pulls it off just so perfectly yeah, I, that's the thing i love about this is that for me when you're watching connor in enterprise he's effortless in everything mm-hmm. he does you know it it you never question just who he is you immediately question that this guy's a southern boy you know you immediately question that he's a good old boy but you also immediately never question the fact that he's a genius when it comes to engineering which i think is funny because we don't generally associate somebody with a southern accent as being smart well, um, Jeff Foxworthy has so. that great bit, and I will say this because I'm originally from Alabama, and we have <laughs> a space center in Alabama. Jeff Foxworthy said, they might be building them there, but they're sure not letting people from Alabama fly those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, the one thing I will say is that um, I think that her part could have been played a wee bit better. Yeah, um, <laughs> I feel that way, too. It, it was a little stiff. Um, I think that the the story arc works in spite of some of the the lack of chemistry that's there. Um, and I don't know why I lay it on on her so much, except for the fact that I I just I believe maybe it's because I believe Trip through the whole series and coming back and rewatching it, I have no reason to question him. But she's kind of stiff to me. I think it's that Connor Trenier is, as Matthew said, just an effortless actor. And you've, we, we always compare him to Colmini. That's how I feel about O'Brien, too. And I definitely feel that way about Connor Trenier. Whereas Padma Lakshmi, who played Kaitama here, is not an actress. She was a model. And there are t- 
times in this episode for me where her stiff delivery works really well for playing that stuck-up royal, uh, soon-to-be first monarch. Stuck-up royal pain in the butt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, there are other moments where I can see her just waiting to deliver her next line, especially Mm -hmm. when they're in the pigs from a spaceship and they're tumbling down towards (laughs) Dagobah, that... Trip, Trip is delivering his, Connor's delivering his lines really well, and you can tell that she's just waiting to say the next thing that she's supposed to say. It doesn't yeah. feel like an actual conversation that's going on, so you know she kind act- of slips in and out of it. There, there are times where her background, not as an actress, works really well for the role, and then there are parts where, for me, it pulls me out of it a little bit. You know what uh, her deliveries reminded me of on the rewatch was um, uh, whoever played Caitlin Dar in Star Trek V. Uh, there uh, was something yeah. about the meter of her lines was mm-hmm. you're just telling me lines from a script. You're not playing a character at this moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she's, yeah. she's the Romulan representative to Paradise yes. City. Oh, right? yeah. 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 I've arrived just in time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the only that, line that with came that classic right to mind. Romulan hairstyle. Oh, sticking yeah. What is hair. that? Like, is that where you hide your sonic screwdriver? Um, no. Yeah. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know exactly what Shar's thinking. That's it's not a screwdriver. Uh, but more to the point, um, what I love here is is too is watching through the episode. I feel like. Trip is really kind of the perfect reflection of humanity as they want to be. Yeah. I mean, they're yes. eager, they're caring, and he's really fair to his enemies too. You know, she says, "Leave mm-hmm. him after they mm-hmm. knock out mm-hmm. the guy," and he looks at her like, "I'm not gonna just leave the guy here to drown." You know, I mean, he's taking care of of, of people that obviously would kill him f- for little less than anything else. So, I just I I love this because um, you you see. I think uh, why Trip is is probably the best character on Enterprise because he's the most well written from the very beginning. Like, um, and 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 you, the way he kind of changes throughout the series is is uh, really well done. Um, there's there's never a time when I kind of question what he's going through. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you get to season three and spoiler sharp. Put your earmuffs on. Earmuffs. Take them off my earmuffs. Uh, it's not time for that yet. <laughs> not yet. Almost. Uh, just what Trip goes through in, in season three or, or four. I, I think all of those things he he does very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, I just I saw him as being this. This is the kind of guy you would want people meeting from our planet. He's he's clever and 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 resourceful. He's funny and fair. But he's also willing to do what he needs to do to protect himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and at the same time, uh, not go so far as to like kill somebody when he doesn't have to, well, and all those kind yeah. of things. I think right. that was one of the Star Trek elements of this, actually. That in Star Trek, he has to pull the guy out of the swamp. In any other mm-hmm. science fiction, he could have just left the guy in the swamp. But in Star Trek, if he if he leaves the guy there, it mm-hmm. says something about humanity at that point that's contrary to Gene Roddenberry's vision. Mm-hmm. Which I think stays constant really throughout Star Trek, even if, yeah. if some yeah. people think they stray away from it. This is actually the reason why uh, Trip is quickly becoming my favorite character on Enterprise, because he is that kind of like role model of what humanity should be in the 22nd century, like where they're going. And we know by seeing TNG, DS9 and onward, 
what it becomes and we see the steps in, in Enterprise. And no, he's not a perfect guy, but boy, is he trying. And I, I think uh, he's definitely a fair guy. He, he, he's definitely no nonsense, which I really like about him. He's got some great one-liners, which I always appreciate. But yeah, he's, he's going to be friendly, but he's also not going to take your crap which I think is exactly what you need for people who are going out here into the middle of nowhere and meeting people for the first time and dealing with whatever happens out there with that. So he is the perfect guy to be out there. Absolutely. And he yeah, really is. He really is the, um, I think, a not just uh, every every show needed its, its every man. And I think Trip is definitely that for Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I, I just even love the fact that it opens with him. He's just hanging out in his quarters, playing his harmonica, you know, because I uh, <laughs> love the hard yeah. That's yeah. such a really interesting fun thing. Opening. Like, if you didn't well, know that this was Star Trek because of a, a yeah. spaceship flying by, you would be thinking, what show is this? I love the harmonica. And, of course, this is a David A. Goodman episode. When you get to the third season and you get to North Star, David writes the harmonica out of the show because he hates the harmonica so much. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. That's where Trip Trip actually gives the harmonica to someone on that planet, and that was David's way of getting rid of the harmonica. Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> but I like the harmonica because I think yeah. it fits really well with Trip's personality. Well, I think it's. I I thought it was a really nice way to open an episode. Mm-hmm. Was this necessarily the best episode to open it with? I don't know, but I think, I think maybe it's it really was nice because it's all about Trip and and well, that's, he's yeah. being the hands on guy. He's the 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 good guy. Here. Well. You know, it's also an interesting angle because he is that engineering genius and he is, you know, running a starship's, you know, power core and, and making sure that it, it doesn't blow up and fall apart. Mm-hmm. But he's not like Scotty sitting in his quarters going right. over stuff and he's not like Jordy <laughs> yeah. who's super serious about everything all the time. Right. He, when he has downtime, he just hangs out and relaxes. He's like you O'Brien. In yeah. That sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is fun and yeah, nice to see that. That's one thing I really appreciate about Enterprise is they do give us more of those tidbits about what the crew does in their off hours. How do they like to relax? What are they doing when they're just hanging out? Like, I right. really have, I've always wanted to see much more of that in Voyager, and then I think they finally got it right with Enterprise. Well, and you can tell, too, I mean, they are only going warp 4 at the most, 4.5, with, with even though it's a warp 5 ship. And so there's lots of boring time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as long as everything's running at peak efficiency, even when you're on duty, there's not necessarily a lot going on because you're in a lot of, you know, empty space between, you know, solar systems. And, and there there isn't an alien every two seconds, you know. So to see these people just kind of kicking back and playing the harmonica because they're probably just a little bored mm-hmm. is yeah. more, I think, what we would normally get than actually them you know being busy every you know minute of every day um this is probably more of what it's like more often than not on the nx01 yeah Mm -hmm. is people just you know finding each other and and, hey you want to go play checkers or well they have a basketball court there's that scene in the fourth season where they're playing basketball at the beginning of the episode so. so of course based on this episode i'm sure that trip always chooses to be skins not shirts. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, hey, when you look like that, why wouldn't you? I'm going to come back to Star Wars one more time here. 
And Matthew, it, this is really funny. You put on your outline that you did for the for the main show what I put on my own personal outline as I was watching again, which is you're my only hope because yeah. Kaitama <laughs> actually says you're my only hope in the episode, just yep. like Princess Leia. <laughs> we, we've already talked a lot here about her portrayal of the character as being this prince's type. But what you have here that we didn't talk about yet that I think is interesting is that Trip gives her the opportunity to see a new side of life. And you said in your outline that you think it will make her an interesting leader. What do you what do you see there? How is that going to influence her becoming the leader of Creos Prime? Well, I, this was, you know, just came up when I was thinking about the very end of the episode and she says, you know, come and see me and and maybe you'll find out. And there are some things apparently about her world that she wanted to change because she had met Trip. Uh, You know, she talks about her life and how really kind of utterly boring it is in in some ways that she spends all of her off time when she has it. In staff meetings. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, she's probably watching... PowerPoints more boarding than juries. So, um, you know, I feel really bad for her. And I, I feel like her being able to spend time with quote unquote a commoner has given her a brand new appreciation for, for what people that may not be at her level, you know, quote yeah. unquote, could offer, you know, and, and that maybe there's something that needs to change about the, their way of life on Creos Prime, which. To me, I just really would love to have gone back to that planet to see what happened. Uh, you know, how yeah. that they had changed maybe because of her interaction with Trip. Um, obviously, I, I think, too, she was thinking of herself as well that, you know, the, the, the people who are planning to be first monarch, the ones that, you know, get chosen for this, they should probably have the opportunity to to love and laugh and live. Yeah. Um, that, mm-hmm. you know, life isn't just about work. Well, you yeah. can see that in her eyes even earlier in the episode where she explains that before she was chosen to become first monarch, she was courted by men from... Ver- but they were all from royal families, but right. she had lots of, of men courting her. And suddenly now she's not allowed to associate with the opposite sex at all anymore. So I, I felt like that was kind of a given for her. That Well, maybe it wasn't a given. I was going to say it was a given that when she became First Monarch, she would change that. But then again, maybe she's just accepting like that's the way things are. And then Trip opened her eyes to the fact that it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. I kind of see it as a way that the monarchy in the United Kingdom has evolved in recent decades from being very prim and proper. And you will only Mm. take a mate with somebody who has just as pure of blood as you whereas it's much more relaxed now and maybe they're just a little more in touch with how the rest of the world lives because a lot of those people at the very top have no idea what it's like to be a so-called commoner. I would say most of the people at the top, if not yeah. all yeah, the people Yeah, the 1%, top. man, must be nice. Well, and, and she even says earlier in the episode, you know, Trip says, I know you're not used to taking advice from people like me, and she's like, you're right. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like that that's been switched around now that, yeah. that she sees the validity of other people just because you're not at my status that you, you have something to say. And I thought that was just kind of an interesting thing for a, a, a Star Trek episode to be talking about. You know, it doesn't matter who somebody is. They can influence your life. They 
for the better, mm-hmm. you know, no matter where they come from. And that's a very Star Trek message, um, yeah. that whole, you know, idic thing that we like to talk about. Um, it, it's infinite, you know, combinations with infinite amount of people all coming together to, to make things different. And uh, I, I really liked that about this episode because it is, again, very Star Trek, even without the kind of romantic overtones of what she's saying there's other things i felt like she was saying as well Mm -hmm. that she had gotten from trip that had nothing to do with you know how good he was in the swamp (laughs) 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 it is implied isn't it when they cut back over and they're they're lying there yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) chris and and it was implied i was pretty damn clear that they had had some relations i mean they're not gonna they're not gonna actually show any of it happening in oh, Star course, Trek, no. like not even the kiss or anything, you know. But, but yeah, I know, I know where uh, they were going with the writing there. <laughs> which I which just picked up when they were laying down. In connecting that, <laughs> seriously, like, like TV show where like you know a woman's walking back with uh, like a man's shirt on or something like that. At the end of the episode, she's leaving the ship wearing. An Enterprise jumpsuit. Like, that's the only yeah. clothing they had on the ship. Are we sure that wasn't, like, <laughs> one of Trip's own suits from his quarters, or...? Oh, it probably Well, it was. wasn't, because it's gold piping, <laughs> yeah. so it was... No, it was, it was cut for a female officer, but... Yeah. But, so. I, actually, I like that outfit. I, I thought she should stay on the ship and be a crew member now. <laughs> that would have hmm. been an interesting thing to have happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It kind of reminded me because she has this the spot sort of like a trill. It kind of reminded me of a season one Jadzia Dax when we first see her because she's got the same ponytail. Yeah, she's got go. that same Dax mm-hmm. look from the very beginning of DS Nine. It's true. I thought of that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the other thing that I thought was interesting is she isn't an idiot in the episode. You know, like she she understands the their the reality of their situation. You know, once they are on this Dagobah planet, you know, uh, there's no Yoda to save them. Uh, and, uh, you know, she well, knows now, that hold Trip on. is her best hold on. They weren't on that planet very long. Yoda that's, very that's well could true. have been there. So I'm that's just going to throw that out could there. still be there. Um, but, you know, she realizes Trip's her best hope. She realizes if he's hurt, then, and if something happens to him, there's a good chance that she probably won't make it because she doesn't know anything about this way of life. Um, and so I'd, I, I thought that that was a, it, it was nice to at least see this. She's not an idiot. She's just being kind of witchy throughout a lot of the episode. And, um, and, and, you know, really to me, it was the taming of the shrew. I mean, that, that's, that's the other thing they're playing at here was, was that whole trope as well of, of her, her being brought down to Tripp's level and, and learning something from him. And, uh, you know, whether you like that trope or not, because it can be pretty sexist, well, I think, does, played that way. But I don't feel like it comes off that way here. Does Trip learn anything from her? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, that is. I think he I think he learns to not prejudge people. I think he was judging her mm-hmm. the moment mm-hmm. she opened her mouth and and and. Uh, I think he learns to, to not prejudge people as well just because they're pretty. You know, that they, they, Hoshi makes the remark earlier, Trip, it's not polite to stare yeah. because he's just kind of staring at her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, once she comes out and he finds out who she is, that she's this, you know, basically princess in distress, um, you know, he, he has certain expectations. But actually, she does a, she's the one who saves his life. 
You know, I mean, mm-hmm. she beats that guy senseless. Uh, and well, not really, Matthew. Trip, okay. trip punches beats, him in the face over and over and over, and then he just laughs at true. Trip, and then she hits the guy two times with a stick, and he's unconscious. It's a pretty big stick. I mean, she whacked him upside the head. You know, so. maybe Trip isn't as good a fighter as he thinks he is. I think that's probably that's, what it that is. That could yeah. be it too. Although, I, I mean, watching that fight, he's given him the best, you know boxing type punches that you can give somebody and that alien just laughs it off until yeah. she whacks him with a stick a couple of times right. maybe she knew maybe so. the, maybe it's like the vulcan nerve pinch but they have she knew where to hit you him. know like yeah. that oh yeah that there alien you know. species has a specific mm-hmm. nerve cluster that can be hit yep there you go matthew with all your shakespeare references here i'm not going to be able to 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 match that i want to go somewhere else with just one comment going back to yoda not being here do you kind of wish that they had brought Mel Brooks in for a cameo and they had met Yogurt? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he would have been trying to sell him something, you know, like, hey, I've got space balls, the toilet paper. I've got space balls, the beef jerky. I've got space balls. The <laughs> well, they did have some kind of jerky in that shuttle. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 That was pretty funny, too. I don't know. What I love that was. The, the she asked if it's edible and he's like. It depends on how hungry you are. Yeah. Right. Just, it's a great line. Yeah. So. Well, let's go on. We're, we're getting close to an hour here, and we do want to touch on a couple more things real quick, especially the little good cop, bad cop scene with Archer and T'Pol, <laughs> which I referenced at the beginning of the episode. This was, I thought, it, it was very clever of Archer. It did remind me of something that Kirk would do. And so I was trying to picture Spock playing along as well because to Paul, I felt like she's just flat out lying about things. And of course, Vulcans are not supposed to lie. I, I feel like, like Spock would look for some, maybe not older Spock, but Spock and TOS would look for an angle where what he's saying is technically true, even <laughs> though he's presenting it otherwise. And I was That's looking for that here with T'Pol and I felt like maybe... She just really was like she and Archer got together and said, "Okay, I'm going to come in and and I'm going to play this role, even if what I say is just completely made up." What did you guys think about that? Yeah, uh, it it was sort of half and half because the, the 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 question she sort of starts off with when she's asking the guy, you know, how much do you weigh? What are the burial customs? Like if she had kept it just to those sorts of things and just That's walked okay. out of the room, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and Archer like peppered her with questions that she never answered, then technically she's not lying about anything, and technically she's not interacting. She's just asking questions that have to do with his species, mm-hmm. and she could rationalize it that way. Um, well, she could just say we're we're gonna you know we've got a great tailor here on the ship. I just wanted to give you right. measurements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We want you to wear crew's, uh, you know, crewman's uh, uniform by the end of this episode as right. well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's a question: Was that guy handed over to the uh, the authorities that picked her up at the end of the episode? I would assume so. Yeah. And That's really what I us. thought too. Yeah. Yeah. But if they had some sort of corporal punishment, isn't you know like aren't they in sort of like a bind of? You know, if they supposedly practice leniency and stuff like that, like I would have liked to see what, you know, what happened to him. Like, 
see him get carted off at some point and be like, oh, God, no, please save me. You people say you're <laughs> merciful. Don't give me to them. Something like that. Well, you that know, those guys, cool. those guys may have been killed when they didn't have time to put their seatbelts on and when the ship undocked and then <laughs> oh, it flipped yeah. over. Maybe. Like, who builds Touché. a ship where you have to turn the ship sideways in order to actually dock with something? Well, they do. maybe that's... That, that is another <laughs> Star Wars reference uh, because uh, they always... Well, for the longest time, Lucas wanted the Millennium Falcon to fly that way. You know, that kind of strange... Just to prove a point way. that there's no yeah. real up or down so, in space. Is I, that why? I, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and so, therefore... Yeah, you know it does obviously in Empire Strikes Back, and that's that's really the only time you see it. But but not um, all. So the I time. thought that was just kind of a funny uh, a funny reference there. If you you have to be a real yeah. geek to realize that that's that could be, uh, you know, one of the, the special effects guys. You know, Star Wars reference. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I I can see maybe, a ship like that, like the Millennium Falcon, turning to fly that way for a short period of time to maneuver. You know, I think that's perfectly normal that you would do something like that. But to actually have to be that way the entire time you're docked somewhere, I thought was very unusual. Maybe that's uh, maybe it's a learning experience for Starfleet to learn to put more docking ports on their ships or ah, extendable okay. docking ports because they don't know. Maybe. You know, they assume everybody has a uh, a specific type of you know USB interface, and it's oh no, maybe we need to have a few more <laughs> yeah. ports on the ship somewhere. Mm-hmm. It could be too. Creos Prime could have a better internal damper system so that it doesn't matter what way they're turned you you would walk into the ship and you would feel like you're righted correctly because of the internal dampers for the ship we have no idea maybe that's just my stupid geeky way of (laughs) covering it up all right well we'll Um, find out matthew when you finish writing the creos prime technical manual there you go yeah yeah Uh, coming soon working on that with larry nemichek right now uh it should be out soon available on kindle ibooks yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. exactly (laughs) i i love chris the 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 whole idea of kind of archer pulling a a corbinite maneuver Mm -hmm. you know just that he's Mm going to completely make something up Mm -hmm. because these people have no idea about humanity and they have no idea what our customs are and use that to get the information. It's classic Kirk. He just, you're just winging it. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was perfect. And I loved that to Paul played along. I never even thought about the fact that she is lying here, but you know, we've already established. I think that to Paul is even in episode two, that she's not like Spock, you know? Right. Um, and uh, she, even though she's fully Vulcan, she actually has more access to her emotions, I think, most of the time than Spock does. Uh, and, and she's not fighting it as much mm-hmm. until, obviously, we get to three and, and, and then four. Um, but, yeah, she is a very different type of, of Vulcan. And I, I liked that because I liked that we weren't just getting the same thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with her. And so I always really enjoyed, especially their interplay here, just the fact that she comes in in her ceremonial robes, which we haven't seen since the very first episode in Broken Bow. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, she pulls those out of the locker and, and uses those and um, plays along with Archer perfectly here. Um Shows she's learning a lot about humanity mm-hmm. and uh, how to pretend. Yeah, which I just thought was really funny. And again, it's a it's a fun little just character 
uh, growth uh, thing there. Whether or not her learning how to lie to aliens is growth or not, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't see it that way at all. Uh, I saw it more of just T'Pol is learning to relax and just go with things and to trust Archer. Mm -hmm. Not to negate the idea that, yeah, she was lying and... As a Vulcan, you can't tell a lie, but they probably found a way to rationalize it. You always can, right? Just like you can with logic. Well, I, I like what you say, though, about learning to, to go with Archer. Like, maybe this shows that growth in terms of, you know, she's willing to trust more. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so the, the relationship does progress in a small moment in a significant way uh, between yeah. the two characters. You know, like the, this shows that she knows that he's he he would never, you know, summarily execute a prisoner. And, and so he, you know, everything that he's saying is, you know, she can trust that he's not going to cross an ethical line that she's not comfortable with. Right. Right. Well, and that will play in, I think, again, later on when that does happen and they have a confrontation with each other because she has learned to trust him fully and then when he does cross that line a line that she doesn't agree with it has even more weight and so yeah. them mm-hmm. really setting this up of course, is 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 really fantastic yeah. i think of course that happens at a Not point that, where her yeah. emotions are just really on the surface exactly. as well so. yeah all right Seashar, we're not spoiling things for you. We're just making you wonder, what are they talking about? I have to go find out. <laughs> well, I, I do know little bits and pieces of what does happen, so I'm putting it together. I All vaguely right. know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I haven't seen it in action yet. All right. All right, well, let's let's uh, close out here. Last question. Do you feel it's a missed opportunity that we never get to go back to Creo's Prime? We never follow up on this. We never get to find out what kind of leader she became. And uh, Trip never finds out what exactly those changes are, which uh, at least part of it, I think, is pretty clear in the look that she gives him when she tells him that she's going to make some changes. (laughs) Definitely a missed opportunity. Yeah. They really should have revisited this in any of the later seasons. Maybe they were going to do it in season five. Who knows? We'll check Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight. See if it's in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do that. Maybe it's in there. Who knows? But then you know what? Maybe not all hope is lost. Maybe this would be a fantastic novel idea. Sure. Yeah, so, I, I, would actually, I would read. I would read that story. If you want to get on that, I'll read it. I I sure would. I I would read that story. I would. Yeah, there are a lot of different directions you could take that. It'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of possibilities there, and even if it's not the whole story, just including it in. The crux of a novel, I think, would be interesting for sure. Well, this is one of those things, too, that, I mean, Creos Prime, they've, they've been mentioned, obviously, before in, in TNG, so we know they're around then. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of influence do, do they have here in, in the 22nd century and how maybe could, because yeah. this this contact went so well, and I, I don't mean that in any other way than well, the contact way. between her and Trip goes great. Apparently, you that know, went obviously. really well, Matthew. It yeah, did. Uh, just bang Hot on. Swappy uh, love. So <laughs> it uh, it went it went smoothly. Uh, and what I what I wonder here though is how could that have affected you know the, the future, especially when I think about season three and season four and some of the things that they did and 
it made me wonder if if Creos Prime and in, in its battle fleet, because they obviously have you know battle cruisers, could have been something that had been helpful. Um, and and how could they have been an influence or even maybe part of the you know the founding of the Federation, um, or, or maybe a, a member that comes in quite soon after that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those kind of things were just mm-hmm. really interesting questions to me, because they have created a good relationship with the person who is going to be the very next leader of this world that, as she said, she's known on hundreds of worlds, her and her family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Trip might say Earth isn't one of them, but now it is. Yeah. And, and it seems mm-hmm. like, to me, this was just kind of a missed opportunity maybe to to go back and kind of figure that out. Obviously, season three changes completely for Enterprise. And by season four, they are connecting a lot of dots with the original series, and, and they don't get an opportunity to go anywhere further. So um, now with the books, who knows? I mean, Christopher L. Bennett could decide to to add Creos Prime into some of the Rise of the Federation novels, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd welcome it. Idea. I think it'd be great, yeah. especially if it meant having to have Trip be a part of that and, and go back. I think that would just be really interesting, especially with the way his relationship is to Paul. So... Yeah, I'm with you. It's a missed opportunity. In season four, in Demons, they could have brought Padma back to the conference when they're all talking. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, and, they could have. Uh, yeah. You know, trying to pull together the coalition of planets. And then, of course, Trip and Kaitama could have hooked back up there, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it, it even if she had, if they had just been able to get her, for, you know, for the background and, and be able to say hi to Trip in, in the episode, it would have been a great callback. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just one of those things that just year. doesn't get picked up on. And maybe that's because the writers thought that this was one of the worst episodes ever. So I guess, Chris, the question is, would we consider this one of the worst episodes of Trek ever, as Brandon Braga has, has called it? <laughs> no. What do you think, Char? I think he is dead wrong. Maybe the process of writing this episode and getting it into the can was just so hellish for them that they think it's that bad, but... As a viewer, I do not see where they are coming from. I think this is a fantastic episode. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, it is not the best thing out there, but it is by far not the worst. It is a very good, solid outing, and if I come across it again, I'm going to gladly watch it. There's a lot of good things to see in this episode. I agree. I, I think there are plenty of good things to see in the episode, and I, the only thing I would say is... I think that, yeah, the the process was probably really difficult and painful, and so they never wanted to revisit it. But sometimes artists need to be willing to accept that they're too close to the work. Mm -hmm. And I would be, like, I'm stunned that people who worked on it would still have any sort of negative opinion about uh, the episode. Like, how could, I don't know how they could, rewatch it and say oh this is just absolutely awful maybe the the emotional side of it is just too strong but you know i like i really think they they were just too close to it and they just didn't see that they had something that was pretty decent yeah i gotta agree with you there yeah for me this is it's an average episode it's it's not a great star trek episode and it's not a bad star trek episode i think that they let the, I think the creators, especially when it comes to Enterprise, they let fan perception influence their own views too much over time. One thing that has bothered me a little bit about all the extras on the Enterprise Blu-rays is that I feel like Brandon Braga went on a great apology tour 
for Enterprise and apologized mm-hmm. for too many things that he didn't need to apologize for. Things that I think he felt he was doing his best work or doing the best that he could with the, the time constraints and the resource constraints that he had at the time. But after 10 years of fans dogging on Enterprise, unfairly in my opinion, yeah. they've kind of let that get to them. And so now Brandon and David and other people are seeing some of these stories through the eyes of fans because this is not a popular episode with fans. Yeah, And I think that that can get to you as a creative as well, where you you do work that you think's great. People say that it's terrible for long enough. And then you look at it and you think, you know, yeah, I didn't do a very good job on that, even though you didn't feel that way originally. So yeah. for me, it's a, it's an average episode. Uh, I, I like all the things we pointed out today. I think those are all good things to take away from the episode. Episode could have been strengthened a little bit of if Padma Lakshmi could have acted a little bit better and that would have just made the the connection between her and trip feel a little bit more real in those moments where i said i felt like you can really see her just waiting to deliver the next line where it doesn't feel like a give and take of a conversation uh mm-hmm. but all in all i think it's it's a good episode so uh Char, what what's your rating for this i think i'm going to give this one three and a half torn dresses <laughs> Excellent. How about you, John? Uh, I will give it uh, three pigs in space. (laughs) (laughs) And then, Matthew, I don't think you really got final thoughts in there, did you? You Anything else you want to say about this? No, I didn't. Uh, You know, Chris, uh, what I'd say here is that I I don't understand um, Brandon Braga. You know, it's interesting. even, Even before the episode aired, he was begging rick berman to not even air this episode yeah um and and (laughs) i I don't understand that because there is there's nothing about this episode that screams threshold bro i mean (laughs) i don't I, i you know um there this is this is a completely fun serviceable episode that um will it ever be the best episode ever of star trek no will it be the worst episode of star trek ever no this is a very fun, very solid, very enjoyable episode that has uh, showcases, I think, um, one of the acting talents of, of Enterprise, which was Connor Trenier. Uh His delivery and everything is perfect. I don't really have a problem with Padma. I think she's um, she's fun in the episode. She could have been better. I'll give <laughs> you that. And so, But on a whole, I, I think that this is the classic story of, of the, the hero saving the princess, and it's fun to see that in star trek you know um i think sometimes we miss that star trek could be fun and mm. uh I, I don't know exactly um, what it was that had fans uh, not like this episode i don't necessarily know what it was that had the writers hate this episode so much maybe we can just get david a goodman on sometime chris to talk about mm-hmm. it well we should yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we've had him on before on literary tracks yeah so exactly so um yeah. i i think that this is a this is a really fun episode i i thoroughly enjoy it and and mainly and and this is just to answer y'all's questions of why i love it it's because it's just plain fun and i can play it anytime i can enjoy it i i don't have to watch the rest of the series to enjoy it um and i think the the characters uh are are really well done here and and, and for me trip's my favorite character so any episode that's uh, it got him as the lead I, I tend to enjoy and, and and precious cargo is is uh 
is definitely in that category. So, you know, I think if I was going to rate this, which we always do here on in the Ready Room, I'd, I'd have to give this uh, oh, um, Swamp Lovin'. <laughs> Just Swamp Lovin', <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> good rating. Very nice. good. Well, my rating for this episode is going to be six strips of alien beef jerky. Mm-mm. Excellent. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Shar and John, thanks for dropping by today to find out why Matthew loves Precious Cargo so much. And it turns out it's not because of Vulcan Love Slave, episode five. <laughs> so, John, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you around the interwebs and a little bit about your show. Uh, well, you can find me uh, crawling around on Twitter uh, all the time at Castle Junkie, uh, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Or you can find me on a delightful little show called Words with Nerds uh, that drops every Thursday uh, on uh, we're on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher. And uh, myself and my buddy Craig talk about all things geek and even slightly geek related. We find ways to tie things in. Excellent. And sure, how about you? Well, of course, you can find me hanging out on Trek FM all over the place. I'm here on the Ready Room fairly often, especially when we do a Voyager episode. But you can also find me with my co-host, Tristan Riddell, for To the Journey. To the Journey! To the Journey! Party! Yes, where we discuss (laughs) everything related to Voyager. And uh, new episodes drop on Thursday, just like your show, John. So please check that out if you haven't already. I'm also on Twitter. My handle is OhTheProfanity. Yes, it does contain profanity. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, thanks again, Shar and John, for dropping by today. Thanks for Thank having you us. Thank for having me. Chris, you know, it was so much fun to finally get to talk Precious Cargo. And what I loved is, you know, getting to talk with you and John and Shar. I liked that you guys enjoyed the episode as well. You know, that, that I didn't come in here and I was ganged up on and feel like I was the only fan out there who enjoys, you know, Precious Cargo. It might not be y'all's favorite episode, and it's not my favorite episode of Enterprise ever, but when I think of, you know, like top five episodes that I enjoy the most from the Enterprise series, this is probably actually on the list. And so it was enjoyable to get to talk with y'all and find out that, hey, we're really all in the same boat here. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun episode, I will say, especially rewatching it today it's a fun episode for me it's very much like middle of the road uh, for enterprise but it was fun to talk about it and this has been a long time coming <laughs> we have been talking in just in private chats for a long time it's been mentioned this episode is, is one of your favorites so i'm glad we got to do it but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm standard orbit <laughs> They, they look at the original series episodes and they see thematically what it is that works and they pick that in order to explore like a different side of it. Earl Grey. No, do you guys seriously <laughs> no. not know why they have red and green lights? No. Not all of us have read Ships of the Line. Okay, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, is this a Ships of the up... Line? I'm only on like chapter no, one. No, no. I'm talking about like real ships today. Have oh. you been on a ship, Darren? The Orb. 
them being adversarial, I, I don't think necessarily was the only way they could have gone. Um, it makes for a great story, but it just made me wonder, just an impossible universe, what would have happened? I think it's important, though, that she, as the religious leader, is not sold on the idea that this outsider is their emissary. To the journey! Endgame cannot make my list. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have as much hatred for Endgame as you <laughs> or apparently everybody else does. Oh, I've, not that I'm bitter or anything, no. Warp 5. So I would argue in the case of what Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco, which luckily missed and went into the bay. And I don't know if, I guess George and Gracie aren't there, right, in the 22nd century, so they're okay, but... The Ready Room. They could have really diverged with what we knew of Will and made Thomas's own unique character. I mean, he is, but like, if we can get multiple Burial episodes, why, you know, why can't Thomas Riker <laughs> have more than one episode? Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And he happens to figure it all out. Yeah, uh, that, that's enough to drive an audience. We know we need to get Will Wheaton on the show because I will defend Wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. There was an interview, I think, with, with JJ where they were talking to him and he was saying that, you know, oh, my, my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day. I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid. And he saw, he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house and I thought, I would like to break some of these. Literary Treks. But I do like I want to see cover. Spock with a perm. Oh, gosh. Well, I think I've got a Photoshop yeah. project in my future with this cover right here. Melodic Treks. It's like, oh, this wow. happened. Oh, oh, this is so good. <laughs> it was. No it was joke. just that amazing. That is how she, uh, reacts. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new Star Trek talk for you every single day of the week, and we love bringing that to you. You can find it everywhere you get your podcasts. And in fact, Matthew, we are now, this makes me really happy because it's been a long road for me. <laughs> Speaking of Enterprise, it's been a long road. Getting it's been a long road for me. <laughs> Getting from there the creation of Trekka Film to hear the fact that we're now a featured content provider with Apple and iTunes. Chris, that was one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, I was perusing the, the podcast page there in iTunes and I scroll down, see content providers, premium content providers, featured content providers. <laughs> and, and, and the very first thing that I see there is that Delta Shield and the Trek FM logo. And I, I couldn't be more proud to be part of something. Uh, it was it was a proud moment. And and so congratulations to you for all your hard work. And, and I know that that I speak for everyone who's a part of Trek FM when we say that we really appreciate um, all the, the hard work that you've put into this and, and, and believing in all of us, giving us all a chance to come in and, and help you uh, create fantastic Star Trek content. Because that's really just what we're about, is a bunch of fans having a great time talking about something we love. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, it's not me. The network would not be around without all of you guys. So it's a great accomplishment for everyone involved and for all of our listeners who have supported our shows. Because without you guys... It wouldn't matter, you know, how much Star Trek stuff we put out. No one would ever notice us anyway. But yeah, it's been great to see us there. Trek of Film right alongside us is CBS, the New Yorker NFL podcasts. So uh, for me, you know, growing the network over the years, it's it's an accomplishment that I've been 
hoping we'd, we would get to someday, and now we have. So, But anyway, you guys can check us out there on iTunes. We have an artist section, all kinds of stuff there. Uh, we try to uh, make it easy for you to find our past shows as well. So you can also find us, though, not only in iTunes, but in Stitcher and TuneIn and Spreaker and all these other places, SoundCloud. And uh, go subscribe, though. That's a key for us. If you stream the show normally... Even if you just go to iTunes and you click the little play button and you stream episodes, if you click that subscribe button, that helps us out a lot because the way iTunes works is it depends on star ratings, written reviews, and lifetime subscriptions as to how you place in search results. And we want Star Trek fans to be able to find the show. So help us out by going and clicking on subscribe either in the iTunes app, in the podcasts app, however it is that you you get your shows from Apple. Speaking of that, I just mentioned star ratings and written reviews. Those help us out a great deal. So while you're there, if you have a free moment, leave us a rating and a, and a written review. I love to hear from you, and that helps other fans find the show as well. And I look forward to reading your reviews here on the show. Now, if you'd like to leave feedback for us, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can go to our website, trek.fm/contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room, and that'll come to me by email. You can also find us in social media. We're on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. I think pretty much everyone on the network, Matthew, uses Twitter, right? We're kind of all Twitter people. Actually, the, the network was built through Twitter, in fact. <laughs> you know, I think it is. I, I, I don't recall us having a host right now or anyone involved with TrekFM that doesn't have a Twitter account. I think so, yeah. True story, actually, everyone. From the, the very first person ever brought into the network, which was Greg, who used to be my co-host here on the Ready Room, it was all done through Twitter. Every single host on this network is someone I met through Twitter. It's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing how people can get connected through social media these days. But check us out there. Also, Facebook, facebook.com slash Film is our main page. We also have our new discussion group just for Trek FM listeners. It's a closed group. You need to go there, ask to join, and then I will let you into the group. It's a replacement for the forums that used to be on our website. And the new group is called the Babel Conference. And it's designed to foster meaningful and respectful. And it's very important to me that it's respectful discussion about Star Trek. And just go to Facebook, type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field and it'll come up. Or go to our website and click discussion on the menu bar and that'll take you over there as well. We've got a lot of conversation going on over there. In fact, Matthew, I've been surprised at just how quickly it's ramped up. You know, Chris, I, I think one of the way the reasons it's uh, really hit off there is is just everybody's already on Facebook, you know, and, and so yeah. we're already kind of perusing it anyway. And um, it's just so convenient to pop over to the Babel conference and, and uh, see what's being talked about. And I love being able to do that throughout the workday or just, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm playing on my phone, it's easy, when I'm right? waiting yeah. for something and I get to comment on something that somebody's uh, said or whatever. So it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it myself. Yeah, it's just really easy. I mean, I'm not the biggest Facebook fan in the world. In fact, I actually don't like Facebook all that much. But for this purpose, I think it's great because like you said, everyone is already there and as long as we have a group like this where, you know, we invite people in and we're all there for a meaningful discussion, I think it works really, really well. So drop by, please drop by and join that group. I'd love to have you over there. And if you want to send us a voicemail, by the way, there's a way you can do that too. Go to speakpipe.com slash or look in the left sidebar on the show page and you'll see the tool for that. All you need is the microphone on your webcam or your tablet or your smartphone. And you can upload that right there to me as an MP3 file from that page. Would love to hear your voice. A couple of other ways that you can help us out before we let you go. Don't forget about Patreon, which I told you about news. 
we really do need your support to keep the shows and the network coming. It's really easy to make a contribution on Patreon. You just set an amount that you want to contribute every month. It can be a dollar or it can be more. We have patrons who are contributing $100 a month and we have patrons who are contributing $1 per month. And every little bit of it does make a difference for us here on the network. So please check us out, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trekfm. And you can see our goals and also the perks that you get in exchange for your support over there. And also audible.com. Don't forget you can get a free audiobook of your choice for becoming an Audible customer. You can just try out the service, choose whatever book you want, absolutely free. You can get Heir to the Empire that we talked about or get one of the great Star Trek books or even something that's not even science fiction. Just choose what you want. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book so there's nothing to lose. But I know you're going to want to stick with Audible. So get your free book at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. That's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And when you do that, that also really helps us keep the network going. So we really thank Audible for their support of everything that we're doing here at Trek FM. Now, Matthew, I think in all my little spiel there about how to contact us, I didn't ask you how people can find you personally besides the Babel Conference. So, of course, they'll find you there, but where else can they go? Well, Chris, uh, as we talked about, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at MattRushing02, so you can hit me up there. We'll have a great conversation about Star Trek and all sorts of other things. Uh, Right now, kind of lamenting the NFL season and and how poor it's been for my 49ers, uh, enjoying the season so far for the Aggies, which has been fantastic, and other things like that. So I don't just like Star Trek. I like lots of different things. Uh, Chris, you can also find me doing The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine a lot on that show. In fact, exclusively, we talk Deep Space Nine on The Orb. Uh, And you can also find me doing literary treks with you where we talk about the books and the comics of the Star Trek universe as well as interviewing authors, which is fantastic. And then, Chris, you can find me at my own personal blog, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com, which is my own personal blog, where I just write about all sorts of different things that I enjoy as well. So now, Chris, when when you're not uh, trying to get yourself locked into an escape pod with a beautiful princess, where can we find you? I, I try to do that as often as possible, Matthew. <laughs> I mean, who um, doesn't? I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, not only because of the beautiful princess, but also because usually there's some alien beef jerky in there, oh, and I really like beef such jerky. Such good so. stuff. Yeah, I, I like to you know try the jerky from various different worlds. <laughs> it's part of the perks of exploring deep so space true. for the first time. Yep, that's that's <laughs> that would be the main and only reason for me joining Starfleet. <laughs> do don't do it for your planet do it for, for the, the jerky, jerky. <laughs> i did it all for the jerky <laughs> yeah you can find me on twitter as well my username is c brian jones the letter c and brian with a y i'm also on facebook facebook.com slash c brian jones and i also frequent the babel conference so if you want to talk to me about star trek without the limitations of 140 characters be sure to join the Babel Conference, and I'll chat Star Trek with you there as well. But I'm on Twitter most of the time. I always have it open, so I'd like for you to drop by and chat me up there as well. On the network, I do a lot of different shows. There is, of course, The Orb and Literary Treks with Matthew, but also Warp 5, Matter Stream, Continuing Mission, Hyper Channel, and I co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator Alec Peters. So drop by and listen to those shows if you want to find out what else I'm talking about related to Star Trek and other topics, sometimes like science as well. Well, Matthew, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to wander on back down to Tripp's quarters 
now that Kaitama has left the Enterprise, I'm hoping he has time to give me some harmonica lessons. Chris, that sounds like a great idea, but I think it's time to stick a torn Creosian dress in it because the ready room is done. Mm-hmm.